Well, gosh, I know we're behind and everything. I mean, don't make us feel bad of being that we're finally putting out our top ten list of last year. <laughs> I don't know why, but a lot of people tend to put their list out towards the end of 2019, which I guess is the proper way to do it. It's the proper but, way, but I guess if you're like a critic or something that has the opportunity to see almost everything, you know, like it's, you know, it's good for you, but... Yeah, I know, but here on the here on the Cinema Discovery Project, we don't have those types of perks. We don't have the perks. Or things like yeah. that. We are just regular people who have to go and pay to see the pay. movies, and then we got to wait for them to get a big enough release to come our way. But as always, uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Andrew Cabral, and with, with me always is Stephen Billings. It is me, Stephen Billings. It is, uh, it is you. And we are, like Stephen said, going to be going through our favorite films of 2019. We are now in 2020, and before we know it, who knows when, what year it's going to be? 2025, 2030? I mean, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Who I mean, knows if we'll still we, be doing this? We all this. live long enough. Yeah, I know. Who <laughs> long will we be doing this? But it is the start of a new decade, I guess, technically. So we kind of we closed out the last decade. We did our our favorite films of the decade um, list a few months ago, and now we're doing our favorite of 2019. We're, doing, we're just doing our top 10, right, Steven? Yeah, we're going to do a top 10, and then um, we'll, we'll give some honorable mentions at the end. We don't want to give away our list too easily. Um, right. But, you know, me and me and Andrew have pretty similar tastes, so there could be some overlap. Um, but um, if we... If we I, I would say... If, if there is, I don't, do you want to, like, if, say you say, like, say you go first and um, you say something that's on my list, so should we go ahead and announce that that's our number whatever on our list, or should we? Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to keep track of it, I never know how that works. I would so say, I'm I would say, like, if I, if I, if I get to a movie that's on your list before you do, you just say, hey, right. that's my number something, and then we'll talk about it when we get to, get to you on your list. Right. Okay. So we'll wait and talk about works. it in full. When we get when we get to where it is on your list, and vice versa. Yeah, that works for okay. me. Um, so, but before we get into that, um, couple of quick things, couple of things that kind of broke recently, or even one that is today. One, I think, is uh, kind of big when it comes to the movie collector world, is that it looks like Warner Brothers or Warner Media, whatever they're calling their big conglomeration corporate machine now, is teaming up with Universal to. Uh, share a distribution of their physical media discs, you know, their Blu-rays and DVDs, which is very fascinating to me. Now, this is only taking place in 2021. Like, that's when it's going to start. So right now, nothing, no big changes. But it's interesting that two big companies like that would kind of join forces in terms of distributing. Now, I didn't do too big, deeper research to see whether it's also... Um, the manufacture of the discs, disc or the production of the discs. Yeah. I don't. All I know is that they're going to be sharing the distribution of the discs. And the reason why I bring that up is because a lot of people are curious about whether Warner Brothers would start putting out um, Blu-ray discs of Universal's Universal Studios back catalog of movies. Now, for me personally, uh, that would be amazing because I am not a very big fan of the way Universal treats their back catalog of movies when it comes to the uh, quality of their Blu-ray releases. Some are amazing. Schindler's List is amazing. Jaws looks amazing. But then you get other movies like 
um, Deer Hunter, which doesn't look good. You get other movies like um, uh, The Sting, which doesn't look very good. You know, the, you know these really great movies. It's like they have the capabilities. I've always said that they have the capabilities, but they always like f- don't put in their full effort. And for some reason, um, years ago, one of my biggest problems with them is they put out a whole Alfred Hitchcock box set, which I'm sure many many people have in their collections or have the individual releases or whatever, and they didn't do a good job with that release. <laughs> but I know they can do a great job because they put out a great-looking edition of Psycho. So it's like, I know you can do it. Yeah. Where's the effort? Where's the where's you know the, the money that we put into it? So I don't know where this is going to stand from that standpoint, but it just goes to show that companies are trying to find ways in which to keep the physical media stream going. Yeah. And I guess, you know... Joining forces to share the costs is something that they need to do now. Well, yeah, I mean, we've already seen the many cutbacks uh, in general to, to, I guess, keep it going in, in, in your local stores and stuff like that where they, I would say, inventory on Blu-rays and stuff has probably gone down. Like, they don't make as many as they probably mm-hmm. used to make. Yeah, they probably don't produce as many un, you know, units yeah. or whatever they well, call it depend- them. Well, it maybe it'll depend on the movie. Like if the movie's a big hit True. in theaters, maybe they'll decide that they can probably sell more. It's oh, probably yeah. a case by case thing. Yeah. Oh man, how many times do you go to your local stores and whatnot? And they just got like tons of copies. Tons, of- I mean, Disney still puts Disney. out tons. Disney's of fit- not stopping. They put tons of physical copy out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, Disney doesn't even need to do that nowadays, especially with their streaming service now. But they're just—they're not stopping. They, they still yeah. put out so many. Yeah. Um, even I mean, 20th Century Fox, which is now part of Disney, like when Star Wars comes out, their new edition, they always have tons of copies of that for yeah. years, just sitting on shelves well, in stores. And then they—they just—they gotta like return them or whatever yeah. they do. And and which leads uh, us to another thing that happened. Go on. Uh, with with uh, they so Disney finally dropped the uh, fox out of both of the things that they oh yeah you know, i wasn't even gonna think yeah. of that bringing that up i'm glad you were yeah so so yes yeah, so no more fox yeah no fox so now 20th exist. century fox is now just 20th century pictures and we have no more fox searchlight it's just searchlight studios or searchlight pictures i think um let me like look that yeah because that's that's kind of a big thing um because uh you know fox um was a big, a big, big, uh, like, original studio. You know what I mean? Like, it's an it's a story studio that's been around for, oh, man, me, oh, close to a century. Yeah. And it's now gone in for the most part. The movies are still there. The history is still there. But all of that is, is like, um, you know, it, it kind of goes away because the name isn't there anymore. And it's kind of it's it's very unfortunate because you want I I thought they would want to at least keep that name for branding yeah. reasons, you know what I mean? To really capitalize on on that brand and to capitalize on um, on that stuff. Yeah, it's 20th century. Yeah, it's called now. It's called 20th Century Studios and Fox Search Searchlight is Searchlight Pictures, yeah. which uh, I guess is fine. I mean. It's not a big thing, but it, it's kind of just a death knell of uh, a further death knell of 20th Century Fox. Like they've even they've even changed the Wikipedia page now, so now you know. Yeah, it was formerly it was 20th Century Fox from 1935 to 2020, and now it's 
you know, 20th Century Studios. So it was, it's been around for 80, 84 years, if my math is correct, or if what I'm reading is correct, because I can't do, <laughs> can't do math off the cuff here. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, I don't know, as long as, I mean, we've also heard like, ho- not horror stories, but like them selling off uh, projects, them shutting down projects, them uh, firing people and all that kind of stuff, because... You know, if they have, they can't have a whole two departments doing the same sure. thing or whatever. They have to consolidate, and consolidation leads to cutting things off. But yeah, that's kind of a big story. Um, but another story, and it, I mean, Stephen, I'm kind of I'm I'm springing this on you, yeah, because I didn't we didn't talk about it in our pre our pre show chat, but I guess it follows up our last episode that we did when we talked about Rise of Skywalker, and literally like, what was it like a week after that? Um, the the original screenplay leaked for yeah. or allegedly it's the original screenplay or the version of the original screenplay or whatever when Colin Trevorrow was was going to be doing the movie so this is pre JJ Abrams getting on board which I'm pretty sure it looks like from what we've read and from what we understand they completely changed the entire movie when JJ Abrams took over which kind of feeds into what I was saying during that episode where it looked like this production was rushed it looks like this screenplay was rushed because it was a mess and and they kind of, and what we've kind of come to find out if this you know screenplay is indeed legitimate um is that they were going to do what i wanted them to do which was build off of the plot that was left to you with the last jedi and kind of like build off of that and connect all three of the movies you know make kylo ren the main bad guy like he was supposed to be yeah. instead of instead of introducing you know deus machina uh, Emperor Palpatine back from the dead from nowhere, which was never explained. They were going to do a lot more interesting things, but we don't want to get into that. I just wanted to mention it because it does connect with our previous episode, and you can go and Google that and read all up on that and and all that kind of stuff. But another thing that happened um, is that today one of the founding members of Monty Python passed away in Terry Jones, which I think is important to mention just because of his his contribution to uh, pop culture as well as the comedy world, the movie world, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, different art forms uh, in in the world. And it's he and Graham Chapman are the two founding members that have passed away. I believe for years now he's been dealing with uh, dementia, yeah. which is a really sad and tragic, slow-evolving disease that catches, catches up with you over time as many diseases do. So he passed away today, which was really kind of, which was really sad to hear because I heard it very, very early this morning. Um, it was the kind of breaking news, and he was in his seventies, I believe. Seventy-seven. Yeah, he died at seventy-seven. So it's it's really sad. I think I'll be watching some Monty Python after yeah. I'm done recording this episode <laughs> today, in in honor of Terry Jones. That's what you gotta do, man. Uh, so that's how he's remembered. Uh, that's true. That uh, good way you know, to honor artists him. to remember yeah. through their art. Um, but with that sad news, let's get to more positive things, and that will be our top ten lists of 2019. Yeah, talk about the fanfare. Yeah, the fanfare we're never gonna hear ever again with 20th Century Fox with the yeah. Never gonna hear that again, guys. You just have to keep watching your Die Hard Blu-rays and you know, like you you know they'll keep producing them, so they'll still be plenty of copies of those floating around. Um, but Stephen, do you want to go first? Do you want to flip a coin? How do you want to do I this? don't need to flip a coin. Um, oh, okay. I, uh, maybe we do. I don't know. I'm going to flip a bottle no, cap. No. Uh, top side or bottom side? 
Uh, bottom side. Okay, you won. Do you want to go first or second? I'll go first. All right, go ahead. Yeah, let me go first. I don't <laughs> want to kick off. I don't want to kick off in the second All half. Right. I want to score first. So my number ten is Marriage Story. Okay, it's on my list. It's on your list. Okay, so you want to wait you on that? Wait till it gets around to me, to where it's okay. at on my list. So what's your number ten then? My number ten is. This was tough, man, because it kind of like it came off my list, my top ten, and then it mm-hmm. came back in. I was having a hard time deciding if this should be in there, and then I decided to put it in because I think that I think I respect this movie more than I like completely loved it. Um, but that's how it is sometimes. I think sometimes you can be impressed by a movie um, and not completely maybe understand it or even love it completely yet until you watch it again. And so I'm hoping with another watch, I'll, I'll, I'll love it more. But, uh, the, the movie is little women. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah that's not in my top 10. Yeah. It, not yeah, it, it's Greta Gerwig, uh, her second film, um, after doing lady bird, which was amazing. Um, yeah, very big, very big critical. Hit. Yes. And you know, we got, uh, Saoirse Ronan back, uh, starring in this film, um, and then you got uh, you know, Emma Watson, Florence, uh, Florence Pugh, um, you know, great cast, and um, Laura Dern's in there. Um, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Um, yeah, he's very hot. Very, right very now. hot. Very, very hot. <laughs> as as they say in uh, Zoolander. Oh look, yeah. Hansel, he's hot right now. <laughs> so hot. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just was very, you know. Very impressed by the filmmaking ability, mostly in this movie. I think that the filmmaking is so mature for somebody mm. that's it's their second film. Now, of course, right. Greta Gerwig's been around the industry, and, and you know her, her husband is is a filmmaker, and it's you know you know so they, they you know she knows the the stuff. But I mean, I you know I'm not really um, I've never seen any of the other versions of this movie. Of the of the book, Little Women. I've never seen right. any of there. It's been I think what done two or three other times. Many times, they they they, they, they did a version back in the thirties with Catherine Hepburn. Okay, so they've done a lot of versions. It's at least two or three adaptations before this one. Yes. Um, and from what I understand, she was she was very faithful, yet she updated it in a very great way. Apparently, from what I've heard, um, and I, I just I found myself intrigued the whole time um you know the way that the storytelling is it kind of jumps around a little bit which mm-hmm. at yeah. first it, it it took me by surprise but then i when, once i caught on it, it was i thought it was very interesting and uh just great performances and great messages and uh it's just a delightful movie i think it's one of it, the yeah it's it's extremely well made yeah. well acted um what's what's interesting about the film is that it's set um, during the Civil War, so we're talking like 1860s, but it feels so modern with its themes, because yeah. its themes are very universal. They're also very, they're very female. It's a very, it's a female centric well, film. Female movie. Fe- they're it's all, about all, things all that females struggle with even today. Even today, yeah. which which makes it feel so modern. Yeah. You know, dealing with, uh, you know, they're all sisters, so it's dealing with family elements, it's dealing with personal elements, it's dealing with romantic elements, dealing with, you know, individual, uh, uh, you know, individual, like, life goals and, like, things like that. It's, uh, and, you know, dealing with sadness as well as good things. Um, but, yeah, it does move back and forth through time. You know, there's a, 
you know, it's kind of, pr it's, you know, present and then past. And then you see how those, you see how those two line up. I know some people were having difficulty um, keeping up with what was past versus what was present in the film. And I didn't really find that to be too It's a movie that it requires with. a certain amount of attention. It really, yeah, yeah you have to pay yeah, attention yeah, to yeah. it. Also, because I think the character demeanors between the present and the past in the film were different. I, I think, you know I think I mean? part they, of the, they, they, yeah, I was going to say. The sisters were younger, so they, 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 they were very... Um, they felt their actions were for were younger, more naive, more you know like learning life and whatnot. While the older versions of the sisters felt uh, uh, different, they felt more well, mature. Well, I was gonna say, I, I would say, like I, I think the thing that makes it tough to to sometimes understand to to to, to identify what time the movie takes place in, whether it's the past mm -hmm. or present, or um, is that the fact that they don't age very much in this well, it physically no, they age. All... So no, there's nothing to age. really un to like really noticeably be like oh they look older or that you know like it's like you have to th that's why I mentioned it's like their demeanor feels well, it's demeanor and it's also it's tough to pick it's up also on. yeah you got to pick up on their yeah pick up on demeanor and you have to pick up on I guess you could say the stat their status in life uh, also you know. I, I I don't mean to cut you off but I was hearing someone mention this on Twitter I can't remember who it was is that. Is that the the aesthetic looked different between the past and the yeah, present yeah. in the film? I think the past was a little softer yeah. when it came to its cinematography versus the present in the film. So, but that's something I guess more film people would pick up sure. on. I do want to mention that Laura Dern is in the film, and she is amazing in this movie. And she was nominated for Marriage Story. I thought she could have been nominated for this film, and it would have made just as much sense sure. as Marriage Story even more for me. I thought she was. I, really I think Marriage Story was the showier performance. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, Marriage Story is a more showy film than I think this is. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but this is based on a a, a book from the nineteenth century, uh, written by uh, Louise May El May Alcott. Yeah. I remember this being a lot of required reading back when I was in school. Um, like I think it's, it's probably part of summer reading things, or, or even part of curriculum in schools. Yeah. So that's why it's 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 such a popular story that's been adapted so many times. I unfortunately have never read. Yeah, it. I've never read it. So it, I, I, it never came up during my school schooling days. No, well, maybe so maybe maybe I get that audible. Yeah. Uh, get that on audible. Yeah, and listen yeah. to it. <laughs> I, do. I, have, I don't I have, have time to read actual books. <laughs> uh, who does? Well, I mean, I do, but. You, no. um, Let's move on. Uh, move on to my number nine, and my number nine is Us, Jordan Peele's. Okay, it's film. just that... off my list. Yeah. Okay, so we can talk yes. about it. So Us is is Jordan Peele's newest film. It's his follow up to Get Out. You know, they're not they're not you know it's not a sequel or anything like that. It's a film that's dealing with um, racial and cultural things. It's a it's more of a straight horror movie than than Get Out was. Yeah. But it's also a film that really kind of blew me away in many of its aspects, and specifically is its. I thought its filmmaking aspects were amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. The the music in the film, the atmosphere in the film, feels very um, specific or very like purposely done to present the film in a certain way to make the atmosphere feel almost surreal. Yeah. Like is this reality? This this can't be reality because this is this is too wild. It's too crazy. It's too out there. But I really loved the elements within the film. Um, I also thought Lupita Nyong'o was amazing in this movie. She's playing 
literally two different roles that are the complete opposites of one another. This film is dealing with doppelgangers. It's dealing with the darker versions of ourselves and commenting on that. And also making, I think, one of the biggest comments is that we are not so far removed from the darkest versions of ourselves than we think we are. And that's a really interesting philosophical thing to think of. Because we all like to think that we are, you know, morally, like, uh, you know, white, not white knights, but like morally positive people. But where, when, like, we're not that far away from not being that. It's like that saying, you know, we're uh, we're one bad day away from going crazy or going, you know. Yeah. You know, because in the movie, you know, she has one thing that happens to her very young in her life that kind of changes her life. You know? Yeah, very traumatic. Yeah. Dealing with past trauma and stuff like that. It's it's also really great cast. Not only Lupita Nyong'o, but Winston Duke is in the film. Winston Duke is probably most famously for being in Black Panther. Um, he's really fantastic. He's playing. Some people compared him to like, like a nerdy Uncle Phil from Fresh <laughs> Prince of Bel Air. That's <laughs> almost like yeah. That. I can almost see that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like because he's kind of like. He's kind of bumbling and saying like corny lines and stuff, but he's a big physical, you know, uh, you know, a handsome man, and it just—it's kind of weird the way he acts. Elizabeth Moss is in the film as well from Mad Men, I love fame, her. and now The yeah. Handmaid's Tale. Her character, she pops in, but she's got some just uh, really quick-witted lines, like really like deep-cutting lines uh, when they're like at the beach yeah. and stuff like that. And then, of course, later on in the film, um, but yeah, the. It's a really fantastic film, in my opinion. I I highly recommend it for people. It's not a... Yet again, Jordan Peele, he's dealing with... He's trying to make films that feel like... Um, they feel like Twilight Zone yeah. episodes in theatrical form. And it's that level of weird and uncomfortableness that he's inducing. So it's not fully like straight horror like you're used to seeing with, with like um, uh, jump scares and things like that. But it's really, really good. And really, really well done. He's become, you know, his breakout right now is really fascinating to me because he's making very interesting, thought-provoking films. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. It was very close. It was very close to being on my list. Um, um, Definitely one that I think stuck out from last year. Just thinking about it visually, it very much stuck out from last year. And it it came out earlier in the year, which I think a lot of people end up forgetting the earlier films that are are really good. Well, I mean, it's the same, same, around the same release date as his first film, Get Out. It's Get Out, yeah. And that had, I think that, that film had more staying power than this when it came to end of the year critical, like, list or acclaim or stuff like that. Um, But it was one of the first films of the year where I'm like, okay, now we're getting into some good stuff right now. Awesome. Well, you know, Going into my number nine, it's funny. We, we the first three movies we're going to talk about are are from directors that are doing their second movies. Because mm. my number nine is Uncut Gems. Okay, I have. Okay, it's not on my top. Okay, 10. okay. So I was like, I was like, oh, it's, oh, it's not uh, on my top. It's 10. like you probably had it on your list at one point, and then it got moved away. Um, it's cl- it's close though. Yeah, yeah. It's close. Okay. All right, so. Uncut Gems, uh, directed by the Safdie brothers who did Good Time, which I think we both had that very high on our lists when it came out a couple few years ago. Um, yeah, I think it was, what, 2017? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely, like, I think top five, at least, on my list. And um, so going into this, I was very excited because um, the experience I had with Good Time was, you know, this adrenaline-pumping, just 
just kind of toxic film, uh, you know, uh, Robert Pattinson giving a fantastic performance. And then, of course, I hear about Uncut Gems, and we hear how great Adam Sandler is. And I love when comedic actors take on darker, more dramatic roles. Um, so I was excited for them things. And I was not disappointed with I mean, honestly, when I was done with Uncut Gems, I wasn't sure how I felt yet. But I, I, I was... I was overwhelmed because the movie is just a constant kind of like anxiety attack uh, waiting to happen. You know, like the whole movie, Adam Sandler, who is this guy that is uh, addicted to gambling, basically. He doesn't know how to stop putting his life on the line. Basically, everything he does, he puts himself in jeopardy. And he just – I feel like there's there's a theme going through Safety Brothers' work about how – there's people in this world that are addicted to not being, you know, com- not being a part of normal normal society things. Like they are uh, like people that push against the norms of society and um, are are okay with getting in trouble or being, you know, like putting themselves on the line like that. And it's Adam Sandler in this movie. I think gets to play all the best parts of what he can do as an actor and you know it be put into this kind of perverse troubling way like it's it's really it's really kind of not a movie about anything necessarily but it's just kind of an experiential kind of movie um of this guy that just can't stop fucking up (laughs) no i mean the thing about this movie is he just keeps digging himself. It's like every time you think he's about to correct something, he he does it again. He like fucks. He does something bad again. You're like, well, he has like like a compulsion not only to gamble but to like self sabotage. Yeah, yeah. Like he just constantly is he's screwing up his life, and it's the whole film is a, is an anxiety inducing film. And I was trying to explain it to a friend of mine the other night, and he wasn't believing me. And he's like. How how is it like, you know, I told him you're going to have an anxiety attack while watching this movie and it's just because the atmosphere that the Safdie brothers create is so, you know, I, I, like nervous. Well, it, it's, the, just, it's just nerve wracking. Well, like, what's going to happen the, next? What's What are we doing here? And the, the, their world feels so surreal yet so lived in at the same yeah. time. It's a weird well, it's feeling. Part of it is a combination of the musical score that they decide they yeah. use. They, their scores yeah. are very synthy very surreal sounding and then they also have this almost kind of um 70s uh, aesthetic with their filmmaking a lot of close-ups a lot of tight shots yeah grainy images use, um, but they use lighting from the 80s yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, is, yeah which it's like they've got the grit from the 70s and the lighting from the 80s as well as the music and it's just a combat but they, but it's set in modern day yeah well, this movie set, I think, in like 2012. Well, yeah, yeah, because Jim- Kevin Garnett, who's a yeah. real life basketball player, plays himself right. in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and he plays himself. I mean, he, you know what? He's actually not. Yeah, bad. he's fine. Yeah, he's yeah. actually good. Yeah. Like surprisingly good for the role he's given. He's basically just playing like a, a, a you know, a a heightened fictionalized version of himself. So it's not that big of a strain on him to be able to pull that off. But the film is just really, really good. Also. Um, Julia Fox, who I think this is her first film, plays like 
Adam Sandler's girlfriend, uh, also like employee in the film. She's amazing in the film as well. It's like a breakout role for well, her. I mean, I mean, or, or doesn't have any IMD, other IMDb credits. I don't think. Or, or, okay, I was, feature film wise. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, that John I, Travolta immortalized. Edina Menzel, Ed, the wickedly talented. <laughs> Adele Dazeem. <laughs> She's in the movie. She plays oh, his man. his his soon to be ex wife. Yes, they. Yeah. yeah, he Howie is a character. Talk about amorals that I was talking about before. He's a like not morally bankrupt, but he skews morally down. Yeah. I mean, he's so, he's kind of a despicable con man of a person, and he's oh man, but he's he's so self aware of how messed up of a person he is or yeah. at least he comes to that realization and i yeah i love the film as well but it's in it's i'll say this it's in my top 20 it's there in my go. top 20 yeah. of the year yeah the other actor in it i, I want to bring up is lakeith stanfield is yes. he's one of my favorite actors right now i i anytime he's in a movie i'm like yes that guy i mean like uh he's got a movie like a romantic movie coming out soon that i really want to check out i think it's called like photograph mm. um I think I, yeah, is. and of course he's been in Get Out, and he was in uh, Sorry to Bother You last year. Yes, love that movie. Like he he's very underrated. I want to see him do more stuff. But um, all right, on to your number let eight. Me, let me get back to my list. Um, my number eight is. Let's see, my number eight is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, not on my list. Really? Nope. Oh, I thought it was going to be on your list. Okay, I guess let, let's, let's. I wasn't planning on talking about it, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> you know, I don't know what we're doing here. Um, Once upon a time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino's newest film. Uh, it's it literally it, it stars Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Margot Robbie's in the film. Um, it's a film that's set in 1969, set in Hollywood, and it's it's basically Quentin Tarantino's fantasy version of that era yeah. of Hollywood, California, and. And he he basically puts in everything that he loves about that era in this film. Yeah. You know, he, he he has the movie movie making aspect in it. He's got the television aspect in it. Um, he's got uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's playing a actor who's basically past his prime and is and is doing like a bit part in a TV pilot now. And Brad Pitt is his stuntman slash friend slash driver in Cliff Booth and Leonardo DiCaprio's character is named Rick Dalton. Apparently he was a big, he was a, he was the lead on like a, a hit Western television series called Bounty Law years earlier and now he's just a struggling actor trying to find work. Yeah. And and basically the whole, I mean, it's not a big spoiler, but in like the first like scene of the movie, uh, Al Pacino basically tells him to go to Italy and be in spaghetti westerns because that, like he'll, he'll be big there. Yeah. But he thinks it's a a a drawback or he thinks it's um you know a, a, a he'll be giving up his career sure. to do that uh, Margot Robbie plays um the late Sharon Tate in the film which I this is what garnered the film so much controversy is that um Quentin Chino was going to have um Sharon Tate in the film while she was married to um, Roman Polanski and when she got murdered and it was going to take place at the same time. It also came out during like the anniversary summer. Yeah. Like, uh, it, you know, because this was 2019 so it took place in 69. I can't do that math but it, it was, a, it was an anniversary. Ago. What was it, 50? 
yeah, 50 year anniversary of her death. And people were like, oh, how's he going to do it? How's he going to do it? Um, I don't want to spoil how he does it, but I'll just say this. People have been complaining about her role in the film or her lack of role in the film. And to me, I thought it was actually more of a tributary, like a, a tributary, like remembrance and love for uh, Sharon Tate and love for the life that she had and the life that she didn't get to have. Yeah. And there are just scenes of this film where you just see her be herself. She's dancing to music, riding in a car, you know, shopping, or she's at the movie watching her herself on screen and being happy. And to me, to me, cinema is way more than dialogue. Cinema is a visual medium, and there's so much to be said within the visual medium. Um, sometimes more than dialogue can even express. Sometimes dialogue is not even necessary because what you're showing is more powerful than what you can say. And I thought she was really good in the film. And I really, and it was interesting how the movie itself is kind of a, I call it a, a hangout movie. It's a sure. movie that doesn't really have a really strong central plot. We're just moving from scene to scene. We're basically seeing, uh, you know, a day in the life of Rick Dalton, Cliff Booth, and Sharon Tate. And we're just seeing their lives unfold out. And it's more about the atmosphere of the time, the culture at the time, and what was what was going on and what is kind of a fictionalized version of what Tarantino believed was going on. I mean, he was alive at the time, but I mean, like, just, it's his fantasy world. You know, if you ever hear, you know, you know, once upon a time in whatever, wherever place, those are always the start of most fantasies or most, uh, you know, adventure stories and whatnot. So this film is kind of in that vein. I, I've watched it now uh, for a second time. Uh, since I've since it's come out in theaters, and I I still really really like it a lot. The filmmaking from Tarantino I think is, you know, top notch. The editing, the music selection, the acting, the cinematography I think is all you know near perfection for me. Yeah, I mean I I've only seen it the one time, um, and I remember really liking it. Um, I just think that um, when it came to you know the greater themes maybe or. Or I, I just it did not uh, stick with me, you know, because because you, you, I think you can agree that maybe this is probably his most self indulgent movie. Um, yeah, it's his most. I mean, all of his movies are you know, self indulgent. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're all self indulgent because you know he's pouring what he like what he loves into them. You know what I mean? Well, like he, he has a he clear loves. conviction about film film and the films that he likes, and he likes to basically do very interesting homages to everything he likes and and in this movie yes. he's clearly trying to tell the audience hey you know don't forget about the past don't forget it don't huh. be so caught up yeah. in the future that you forget about these these people that laid the groundwork for all the things that you love now you know oh yeah yeah, yeah. he he's a i mean he his knowledge of movie trivia or just movie history is pretty high yeah like if you ever see him he he'll just name drop random references to things in interviews or or Q and A's that you've never heard of before. Yeah, and you have to go and do a whole Google search on it. And that's the good thing about Tarantino, man. He's he's a true film fan. I think sometimes I wish he would maybe you know try to have more original thoughts. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean you know, I, also he a lot of people don't like him because he is kind of an egomaniac. You can kind I don't, of I don't dislike him, but I, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, like his personality. I love his. Right. I love the, the the person he is, though. Maybe ego has he has an ego. A lot of us have egos, but 
I mean, uh, I just think that when it comes to his art, though I do enjoy his movies usually, I just wish he wasn't so obvious with his influences um, sometimes. Fair so, enough. Fair enough. But um, right, your number eight. All right, my number eight. Um, this one is one I was very excited about because I love the filmmaker. Um, he's very unique and this just looked like this would be a hilarious satirical movie jojo rabbit um by the name that i can never say right until i see it taika taika waititi oh he finally got it it. um finally got it. yeah um progress i know the thing is i always like to add t to his second his last name and yeah you you had too many yeah yeah i'm like taika tatiti um (laughs) and that's not right it's taika waititi um and uh so this is a movie set during, you know, obviously World War II, um, and it's set, set around a child who, you know, has been, you know, brainwashed In- into being becoming a Nazi eventually. He's basically a Nazi, you know, scouts, Nazi scouts. And uh, his mother is Scarlett Johansson, who uh, puts on a face of being, you know, all about the uh, Nazi beliefs but is actually against them um you know so basically but the movie's about how uh he finds a young jew girl who is being held by the mother in their house and how he kind of interacts with her and starts to learn the truth about things and not just what he's being taught um and it's i think it's a very relevant movie um um and hilarious i mean you got taika playing hitler imaginary best friend Hitler, um, which is, right. is one of the funniest things that you wouldn't think would work when you say it out loud, but it really works. Um, and sure it's controversial and, you know, kids, you got, you know, little kids saying how Hitler a bunch of times. Um, it's, it works. It, it, it's hilarious. It's heartwarming. Um, and it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, if you're not easily offended, <laughs> yeah, it's a movie that's got. I for some reason it's getting a lot of criticism on, on Twitter. I know Twitter is not the best place for uh, you know decent criticism or you know stuff like that. But just people not interested in seeing it, people being offended by it without seeing it, by just seeing the premise or seeing the trailer or seeing a clip or out of context, of course. But the movie is a satire, and it's making fun of the ridiculous and just despicable um you know philosophies of of people who are nazis the, yeah. uh, the whole nazi philosophy and and all that stuff and how you know just dumb it is and how yeah. ridiculous and like unreasonable it is and it's fascinating the way the film approaches it from a comedic standpoint because it feels it it's like wow i can't believe people actually be- and people actually believe the stuff and that 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 the Nazis well, were saying, and, and, and it's so dumb. Yeah, like yeah. all like all the propaganda about um, the Jewish people and all the ridiculous lies they made up to make them seem like they were less human, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Like that's all stuff that's actually real. You know, granted, some of it's probably like heightened for comedic purposes and sure. whatnot. But I'll say this: the young actors in the film are really, really good, and sometimes young actors can make or break a film. Scarlett Johansson is is an anchor in the film. Sam Rockwell is in the film. As I was well. going to say Sam Rockwell's character to me was very interesting because um, he is playing this Nazi who's 
obviously kind of like just like done with it. Like he's just like, oh, like yeah. he he knows the war. He's over. like, this is over. Why takes, are we still doing this shit? Like, yeah, because it takes place like during the late stages of World yeah. War Two when basically the Germans were retreating and the war was coming to an end. And basically, it was a race from you know the Allies and the in. The Allies in Western Europe versus Russia and Eastern Europe to see who would get to Berlin first. Yeah. It's basically like you're just clo- the closing in. But like the prop, I can only imagine what the propaganda machine must have been in Germany to tell the German people, "Oh yeah, we're still winning the war and stuff like that." Because that's what totalitarianism and Nazism and all that stuff—they just make up lies and bullshit to 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 convince people that they're right and that what they're doing is 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 worth it. When I, in fact, it's just despicable yeah. lies and garbage yep. and the film I'll say this the film is funny for the most part but it gets dark it gets really dark very serious very quickly and I kind of uh, uh, it's I kind of it's very similar to the tonal shift in Life is Beautiful yeah the, um, the Benini um, what's a Benini um, Roberto Roberto, Roberto Benini yeah. Roberto Benini film from the late 90s which is amazing and just that that stark, stark tonal shift, I think, caught a lot of people off guard, but it's really powerful. It's a really powerful film, and it's set in our current political times at an important part where, an important um, time frame where Nazis are literally still around. They made a, they've made a comeback. Yeah. There's still people wearing swastikas, marching in the streets, and, you know, and exposing the, the garbage philosophy of Nazism. Yeah. So it's still appropriate to have these types of movies exposing that garbage and yeah it's Taika Waititi and I love when I love when Taika Waititi does a film like this versus like the big budget stuff that he's well I'm glad I'm glad that so far it seems like he's not he's not not doing them types of movies he's finding time to go and and do something more personal um yeah he's doing like one for them one for me stuff which we see a lot um so we down to my number seven yes your number seven my number seven is The Irishman. Not on my list. Okay. <laughs> the Irishman is... Um, uh, it's a film that I'm pretty sure many of you know. It's Martin Scorsese's newest film. It's rather a magnum opus film from him when it comes to his gangster film filmography. Yeah. Um, because you've got all his old friends back in it. Uh, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci... Um, uh, Harvey Keitel is in the film a little bit. Al Pacino is in the film for quite a bit, and it's a film that's based based on the life of um, the guy who who was the subject of the book called um, uh, what was it? You paint. Um, uh, I heard you paint. I heard you paint houses. Yeah, yeah, and it's a guy by the name of Frank Sharon, and he was basically kind of a. I guess you could say hitman yeah. or, a, or a tough guy. He worked for, you know, uh, gangsters back in, I want to say the 60s and whatnot, 50s, 60s, that era. And he was basically the guy you called if you wanted to, to rough somebody up or kill somebody or whatever. He was basically a tough a tough guy that you see in a lot of old gangster films. Uh, Lee Marvin started out his career pay, playing a heavy. That's what they call it, a heavy. And... Um, yeah, it was. It's it's a long film. It's three hours and twenty nine minutes long. It was produced by Netflix. It uses it uses de aging technology sometimes amazingly well, sometimes not so amazingly well. But what is interesting about the film is it's 
it's so large and fascinating and all of the themes that it's it's exposed expounding on there's a lot of like i think a misconception of not only gangster films but i think martin scorsese's gangster films specifically where it's glorifying uh that life yeah and and for me none of his films i think i've ever glorified because in the end it's always it doesn't end well for these people you know what i mean in it's but even in um, even in these people's real lives, their lives all ended pretty terribly. Yeah. And this film kind of shows how the the negative aspects of living in that life. For example, Robert De Niro's character has a really strained and broken relationship with his daughter in the film, who is at one point portrayed by Anna Paquin, and they literally don't talk at, 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 at towards the end of this movie. Like she won't be be in his life at all. And what it also shows is that over time. All these big, bad, tough guys all end up dying off the same as anybody else. You know what I mean? We all end up dying in the end, regardless of what type of lives we lead. And that I think that to be a really fascinating, um, interesting aspect. Uh, this is a film that also got Joe Pesci out of retirement because we, we haven't seen him in years. He almost didn't come back for this. I remember reading reports where he just didn't want to do it. I don't know whether they... I don't know how they convinced him. Maybe they just gave him more money or whatever... But he, I thought, was a standout in the film. To come out of essentially retirement and to pull off the role that he pulled off was really good. Al Pacino is probably this is probably his best performance we've seen from him in years. He plays Jimmy Hoffa, and for those of you who don't know who Jimmy Hoffa was, Jimmy Hoffa was somebody who, quote unquote, disappeared at some point in the early early. I, w- I would say his legacy is more about the fact that he disappeared than it is. Yeah, he what was, he actually did. He was, he was like the leader of the Teamsters Union, I believe, truck drivers unions, and he got himself in with the mob. And man, if you cross those guys, they will get rid of you, and you will never be found again. Because till this day, they've never found Jimmy Hoffa's body, and they probably never will. And this film makes certain conjectures about how all of that went down, and what may or may not have happened. And it's really, really fascinating from that regard. But this is a classic Martin Scorsese. The The filmmaking is really fantastic. And it's probably his longest and most ambitious film that he's done so far within his within his uh, filmography, in specifically his gangster films. I don't think it... And, but in the main criticism I have with it, and I think I would say perhaps even Scorsese fans have with it, is that it's not something that's essentially out of his wheelhouse. This is him doing what he does best at one of its best, um, you know, portrayals of that. It's him not going, not not going out of that box. And I've told this to Stephen a while ago. And I think we may have discussed it. I think his film he did before this, Silence, is is more ambitious than this, definitely, and more more interesting and more challenging than this film. But I really like this film a lot. This film has a lot of great moments in it. A lot of you know, really fantastic filmmaking elements, but, um, but, and I think a lot of the budget in this film went to the de-aging, and it's ambitious to do that de-aging where you have these older actors and you want to portray them in younger form. But like I said, some of it works and some of it doesn't. The movement, I think, Stephen has a, has a big problem with it. Well, with, yeah, right? yeah, I think that you know when we've talked about it before, it's you can de-age somebody, but if you're playing them younger, they have to make the motions as younger people, and they they can't. They're trying to act like, you know, late 20, early 30s guys 
but they're 70 years old, so they don't move like 20-something-year-olds. So it's not it, only that, but it, it looked like they de-aged the faces, but didn't de-age the bodies. Yeah, so I just, some some of those wide shots, like they look young, but their body looks old. Yeah, like De Niro's in his seventies, so he looks like he has a seventy-year-old man's yeah. body, but with like a thirty-year-old man's face. Yeah, and, and so sometimes those things don't. don't yeah, and, match and my up. main issues with movie. I mean, I do think that the movie. And you know, I'm a person. I, I like long movies, but I I, right. I think this movie maybe. Maybe it's a little bit re- kind of over the top long for the subject right. matter. Um, I, you know, also think I don't, I, I don't disagree. Yeah, I, I think I think also um, I feel like with Scorsese, I, I do think this is kind of a, a a less inspired movie of his because I feel like I almost feel like he wanted a chance to work with all these actors in one movie together. And that was more the reason to make this movie than it was. He really had something to say. Um, all right. Well, like I said, it's, it's not something we haven't seen from him. Before. And that's why that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We've talked about it before. I mean, I just, I, I, I was so much more engaged with movies like the departed, um, and stuff like that, that are part of the same things he'd already done before. But they were just more engaging because I felt like it was he was showing me something new, um, and with this I think it it is definitely ambitious, um, but I don't know if the ambition was for the right reasons. Okay. You know, I don't think I don't feel like he had anything new to say to warrant a movie of this length. Um, Got it. Per, per, I mean, maybe I'll feel differently with another viewing or so, but um, at this point right now, I just. I liked the movie. I didn't love the movie. So, okay. All right. Well, moving to my number seven. This one is one I'm not even sure if you've seen it. I don't know that you saw oh. this one because um, I don't. I don't think I've ever heard. It. I don't think we ever talked about it. Um, and it's. Let me put it up. Pull it up here. I, I meant to pull it up a second ago. Um, the anticipation. Is yeah, coming. I know, right? Um, the director i think is a first time director uh first it's a female director um and are you talking about the farewell no no okay. no um it, it it's been described as a updated version of kind of bonnie and clyde and that is queen and slim oh no i did not see queen yes and slim. queen and slim um it it, it with um daniel kaluuya, daniel right? kaluuya and and i think it's her first movie also the actress oh uh, it's jody um, turner smith yeah well, no. i think it's maybe her first movie um i mean she might have done some other smaller parts maybe but this is her like first leading movie oh i thought you meant um the director. Well, the director. Because I know the, I know the film was written by Lena Waithe, who was famously in uh, the Aziz Ansari Netflix show, okay. um, which is um, a master of none. Yes, and she was also in uh, Ready Player One. Okay, but Queen and Slim, um, I, I really, I was really engrossed with this movie. It, 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 um, it very much is kind of the story of a kind of a Bonnie and Clyde story, just not necessarily about people that kind of get caught up in, you know, committing crimes, obviously. Um, you know, 
we've had a lot of stories about how, um, you know, African-American community, you know, gets, you know, targeted by law enforcement, um, you know, which is kind of what happens in this movie. We had a lot of movies like that last year with, um, you know, blind spotting and, and, um, shoot, what was the one with the girl in it? Um, oh, um, oh my God. The hate you, the hate you give. That's it. Uh, and there was even, I don't, some, I don't know where I pulled that. Yeah. Out you of. pulled that man. Good one. <laughs> um, and you know, so this one kind of has that same thing. I would say out of all the move them out of them movies, this movie depicts this particular situation, maybe in the most, uh, I would say, emotional way. Like it happened when it, the way that it's shot and the way it goes down, I, I was actually feeling nervous during the scene. Mm. It actually it brings you in very well. The filmmaking very very good. The cinematography very good. You very you very much get the a rawness with this movie. Um, when they're kind of running away from the police and they're going across the the country, parts of the country that I've visited and are closer to where I live, um, it feels very real. And I feel like I could really relate to the movie in the sense of place that the movie was in. Um, and I just think that the, the chemistry here is the biggest thing. And, um, you know, it's very genuine. It's very, the movie's very genuine. These two people that, are in a situation where they don't feel like they have any other choice but to run because because of the world that they live in. And uh, I just – I think it's a very impactful movie. It's 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 one I can't wait to watch again. Um, and sure, it goes – the kind of movie goes down in no surprising way, but you're just – you just want to stay with the characters because you relate with them and you – or you, you, know, you feel their plight so much like I, I just i really enjoyed the movie I, I i was more into the movie than i thought it would be <clears throat> okay i have to check it out i have not seen it yeah it's probably I got a blu-ray i would assume coming out soon soon because yeah. i know i think it came out like last month it came or out recently. in like october i think yeah really yeah. the movie yeah yeah that know, movie came out like october-ish yeah holy yeah, you're way right. you're way, way behind, buddy. Way off. <laughs> Samson items. Way off. Uh, dumb and dumb reference. Um, so I'll be on to my number six. I'm losing. I'm losing yes, track. Yes, we're here. on to number six. Yeah, my number six is 1917. Okay, I list? do have that on my list. Oh, so it, okay, yeah. Then. Just wait a minute. So, Just wait a minute. Do you? I do have it on my list. Okay. Just you have to wait a second. Okay. All right. So now we can talk about. One that you brought up earlier, Marriage Story, is my number six. Okay. So I guess I'll go into it. Marriage Story, uh, coincidentally, I I, ta- I said Marriage Story, and then you talked about Little Women very soon after. Um, it is that Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are a married couple? Yes. Yeah, they're married. But this movie is directed by Noah Baumbach, and it is um, uh, it, it's also a Netflix-produced film, and it's stars uh Scarlett Johansson once again. She had a she had a pretty good year that Scarlett Johansson. Yes, yes she did. Um and she just she's a double Oscar nominee now. <laughs> and the the film also stars Adam Driver who also got nominated for an Oscar for this film and he got nominated last year as well. This he's, he's, he's having a year too. Guy. He's having a year as well. Um and they are a married couple who are going through a divorce and things are getting messy. 
and and not messy in any kind of like oh like a custody battle messy like you see with like a Kramer versus Kramer or something or courtroom drama or something yeah. like that. It's an emotional messiness. Well, it's 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 because, it's about how there's two people that um they've realized that they don't they 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 don't really coincide very well together and they're trying right. to it's about having good intentions and how quickly good intentions can turn into like you know kind of what's the word i'm looking for uh not regret uh having i don't know complications no i'm just uh, saying they, they, they resent they have resentments oh, for yeah, each other they, as the movie goes yeah. on they realize that they resent each other for things that yeah. they kind of feel like that the other person has turned them into like they they, right. they feel like there's a lot of there's a lot yeah we're, we're, we're not resentment towards each other for just their lives together which is really sad it's a sad movie it's de- it's, and, it's definitely a sad movie i think it's the maybe one of the best screenplays of the year uh if yeah not the when best. i when i watch i'm like this screenplay is amazing yeah. this is one of the best screenplays it's, I've it's seen so this tight year. though it's though it's, it's kind it's, i think it's two hours and 15 minutes long yeah two yeah i'm dubious says two hours and 17 yeah. but you got to figure cut out the credits and whatnot. yeah but yeah it's a tight movie and the it it feels very play like. Yeah, I was gonna say it's, it's, it reminds me of like a Sorkin type of like movie where you get a lot of a lot of dialogue. Um, it just but the dialogue you, you're so invested because because the, the acting's so good. Like the, they're yeah, so and, and and right now I mean every, every they've parodied this scene so many times, which is both hilarious and tragic because it's such a powerful powerful scene when they just they just. They just have huge tirade against one another, and they're just where everything is pretty much laid bare. And it's basically it's the uh, you know it's the Oscar moment of the sure. movie. This is probably the scene that got them both nominated, even though they're great it, throughout it, the entire film. It reminds me of the scene at the end of uh, Before Midnight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Coincidentally, I'm going to be talking about the Before trilogy in a movie upcoming so i'm glad you brought that up because i almost forgot to i do can that. plug that <laughs> oh, sometimes steve and i have the same brain yeah yeah man um um and it's uh but this movie marriage story tight screenplay good filmmaking it's on netflix now so for those of you who have netflix i would recommend watching it but if you've gone through a difficult it, relationship whether it be a divorce a breakup or something like that this film can hit home very, very close to home. Oh, it can. It can. For, for I mean, so I, many people were saying. I, that. I was gonna say, you know, like I watched this with my uh, fiance, and she, you know, her parents have had troubles in the past, and she said that mm-hmm. it very much reminded her of, um, you know, times where they've had arguments. It, you know, it, it really it brought it, it hit a nerve. Like it was well, tough have, for her. To, I have, you know, well, I have two friends that are getting married this year. <laughs> Stephen is one of them. And I've got another friend who's also getting married. And I tried to tell, like, when the movie came out, I had just saw it. So this was, like, early December, like, right before Christmas. And I was like, oh, you've got to watch Marriage Story, you know. you got to, and, you know, it, it, I, I think, Stephen, you've reached that phase of your relationship where uh, a lot of the things you watch are with your significant other. Um, yeah, unfor- unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's what, I'm, yeah, to be honest with you, Stephen, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I'm glad I still stay. Well, you know, when she, she's... Because I want to watch any everything anytime I want and not have to wait for it. Well, you know what? She's, she is pretty good about letting me, if I if I want to go have my own time, she'll let me. Um, you know, so, yeah, so well, I can if well, I want, I, you know. 
Yeah, but that's one of the things I try to avoid because I want to be a free. A, a, a you want to be free agent. as a bird. Free bird. Yeah, I get. Yeah, it. I want to be free bird. That's good. That's uh, good, Leonard, Leonard Skinner. Okay. Yeah, that's good, Leonard Skinner reference. But um, as I was saying, like I was trying to tell him, like you know, this movie's amazing. And, you know, and he's like, oh, well, you know, what's it about? I was like, oh, it's like the it's the de-evolution of a marriage. And he's like, oh yeah, I don't want to see that. I'm about to get married. And I'm like. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, a you know, good time. I, I don't want to ever, I don't want to ever reach that point where I avoid watching a movie for something like that. But it's like, but I understand it, people why. De- people people you know, deal you, with their hard, like yeah, depression or, or their bad feelings right. in different ways. To me, that's very I, true. I, but I under, I understand that position because yeah. I know many people have probably had it when they heard about this movie or even while watching this movie. Yeah. Maybe people probably maybe have turned it off because it's just it's hit too close well, to, to, home, to or I don't want to deal. I don't want you know this is too real. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I was gonna say with. you know like like I was saying people deal with it differently. To me, I f- I find that when I pop in, a, I purposely would rather pop in a movie that maybe hits on something that I'm feeling and it makes me feel better. Or, a or it's a positive effect for me to watch a sad movie if, if mm. you know it relates to something that I'm dealing with because then it makes me feel like I'm not alone. Um, right. That somebody yeah. else has had that feeling because that comes from the filmmaker or something that they've maybe you know seen in somebody else or like it, you know that to me I think watching a sad movie or a depressing movie can be a good thing. Um, right. But you know everybody that- deals with it differently. And also, I think it, it's important to maybe important to bring up. I think this film is inspired by Noel Baumbach's real life relationship and marriage to Jennifer Jason Lee, and I think like part of the film is is inspired uh, from that, yeah. like their relationship. So it probably feels maybe that's why it feels so real because it's based off of a real thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that was your number six. Uh, six and my six was nineteen seventeen. So my number five now. It's probably going to be on your list too, uh, and that is Rocket Man. Yes, and it's, you got to wait a little bit. You got to wait a little oh, okay. bit. Okay. Um, All right. So you're five. My number five is The Lighthouse, and we got. I'm assuming. Oh, you got to wait. You're gonna have to. You wait have to wait a minute. Okay. 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 So my number four now. Yes. And I don't think you're gonna have this on your list, and this is okay. And this is High Life. No, it's not on my list. No. Yeah, this was my number one for the longest time up until like the last <laughs> month, <laughs> up until like the last month and a half or so. Um, High Life is a film that I saw much earlier in the year, and it's a film that didn't get a wide, wide release. It's it's available, I think, now on Amazon Prime. There's a Blu-ray DVD. Um, this is another film that stars Robert Pattinson. Coincidentally, you mentioned The Lighthouse, which also stars Robert yeah. Pattinson. And this is a film by uh, Claire Denis. And Claire Denis is kind of one of these art house independent uh a filmmakers, she's made, you know, her films are like, you know, stuff you would watch on, you know, Criterion and stuff like yeah. that. And I think, and I've only seen one of her films before this, but I've been wanting to watch much more of her filmography, and I've seen White Material. Yeah. Um, and that was a movie that came out in 08, and it starred, I want to say, Isabel Huppert. Yeah, it starred Isabel Huppert and Christopher Lambert from um, Mortal Kombat fame. And so, but this film is High Life, and it's... It's a departure from what we typically see from Claire Denis, or at least what I've seen just by looking at her filmography and looking at her films in her, you know, in her directorial oeuvre. And it stars Robert Pattinson, Juliette Binoche, Andre Benjamin, um, Mia Goth from Mia Goth. I don't know how to pronounce her name, but man, this is one of those movies that's right up my alley. It's an sci-fi, sci-fi, sexual, art weird. house, sci-fi art house, surreal, sexual film. 
And by sexual film, I mean there is literally a there's a sex a room, sex box. There's a sex box in space. <laughs> <laughs> and man, it's like uh, what's interesting is like even the premise they give you on IMDb is has nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, it's it's kind it, of like a movie. It's, read... it's it's like a David oh, Lynch man. movie. It's hard to describe. Oh yeah. But yeah, let me see if I can find. It's like okay, here we go. Uh, yeah, okay, let me read this synopsis because the phone they have in IMDb is not even remotely close to the premise of this movie. Uh, takes place beyond the solar system in a future that seems like the president, but a group of people who accept a mission in space to become the subjects of a human reproduction experiment. <laughs> and it goes down that really weird, surreal sexual corridor that gets weird, that gets. It, it, you know, more crazy as time goes on. Like, the deeper they go into space, the deeper the craziness goes. And, man, I couldn't even describe to you the the, the mindset you have to have to watch this movie. It's one of those, like, um, movies that I think is sp- for a specific audience. It's not for mainstream audiences. It's a slower, like I said, art house film. The movie is only an hour and 53 minutes, but... You know, you feel it, it because feels it's slow, longer. progressive, <laughs> and it feels longer. But Robert Pattinson, I think, is amazing in this film. Juliette Binoche is one of my favorite actresses that not a lot of people know about. She's been acting for a while, a long time, and I think she's an amazing actress. Um, and, yeah, I I loved this film for the longest time. Like I said, it was my number one. And that's just me because I like these types of movies. Not Yet again, not for everyone. Yeah, you're definitely, so, I know you, you with, with your love of David Lynch, I know you're, you're a big surrealist. Um, yeah, big art house surrealist, like these movies don't make any sense type <laughs> thing. It's cause I'm, cause, because I'm always, because there's a lot of formulaic stuff in movies, uh, especially as time has gone on and now, you know, with bigger studios taking uh, a bigger chunk of the movie production world, you don't get to see a lot of movies that push the boundaries or, or to be ambitious or to really do things in a crazy, wild way that may work or may not work. You just see, like, things that are always safe yeah. for the most part. And I just love seeing films that aren't anything but safe. It's like, give me something crazy. Give me something I'm not going to see anyplace else. Yeah. Let's push this medium as far as we can go. Let's break it if we have to. So that's just that's just no, my personal you, philosophy when it comes to movies. I'm with you. But, Steven, so where are we? Num- we're up to your four? My four, yes. And now we can talk about 1917. Okay, here we go. So, 1917 is actually the most recent film I've seen in theaters as of this recording, which is January the 22nd. And 1917, we had to wait a while for this to get a wide release. Yeah, this was kind of one of the one of the bigger ones we were waiting on. That's why we couldn't do our lists, you know, as earlier because this doesn't get into theaters until you know near mid January. Yeah, it didn't get into theaters till second week in January. Yeah, January 9th. And granted, it got a release like on Christmas. An unlimited release on Christmas, into uh, no no theaters that were near me. Not I can me, tell not you that. Not me either. Yeah, not me. But people have been talking about this movie for like a while, and it's Sam Mendes's new film. Sam Mendes, who is a a you know a, a very a, not very well known, but he's a well known filmmaker. He did American Beauty. He did the last two James Bond films. He did Revolutionary Road, which is, I think, is his most underrated movie. I, th- I think no Road to Perdition about. is his most underrated. Road to Perdition is another one, which is amazing. Um, he's done a lot of um, um, producer work. He did Jarhead. Um, he did, yeah, he's um, he's a really great filmmaker, in my opinion. And 1917, and I walked out of this movie, <laughs> and I had to catch my breath. 
because it is a roller coaster ride of a movie. And I'm not saying that like, and I'm not saying that in the sense that oh, it's just entertainment spectacle, like oh, like like oh, like 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 a Marvel film, a DC film, superhero film. This movie is literally feels like it straps you in and you go for this ride because the whole movie is made to be a look. It's made to be uh, feels like it's one shot. So there's no like editing. There's no. There's no. There's editing in it, but it's subtle. You gotta really pay attention. It's almost. To it. it almost feels like a video game. Yeah, it felt like a video game, but it also fe- But there's no edits in terms of like, okay, we're gonna cut to a two shot. We're gonna cut to a medium shot. We're gonna, you know, there's 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 two people in this frame here. You know, how are we gonna how are we gonna light this? How are we going to, you know, how the body's gonna fit in the frame? All that stuff kind of gets thrown out, and the camera just moves as the characters move, and the whole film is amazingly well made from that from a technical perspective it's yeah. shot by Roger Deakins one of the best cinematographers yep. today he, maybe he, ever he was like I, I have to get on get in on this uh gimmick of one shot lasting for a long time that yeah, you know Ama- Emmanuel Lubezki's done it multiple times yeah Lubezki does it like every damn film that he does nowadays <laughs> but um yeah Deakins did it and basically getting to the premise of this film it's a World War One war film, which we don't get to see a lot of. Not, not as much, today. No. World War Two has always been the more popular war, and I've said this. I probably said this before. It's because like there's such a a defined uh, good guys versus bad guys theme yeah. that they just they just utilize over and over again. You know, Nazis bad. You know, allies. That's why good, we don't see a lot true. of Vietnam <laughs> movies. Yeah, well, yeah. Not 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 nowadays. We really no. don't. Granted, that's a more complicated, messy war versus World War Two, which is like, like I said, good guys over here, bad guys over here. Yeah. Let's let's do this. Uh, but World War One is complicated because it's not a, it, it it's not a war that has defined good guys versus defined bad guys. It's a film that it's a war that dealt with trench warfare. So it's just guys sitting in like disgusting narrow trenches for, you know, days and days at a time with no progress in the war whatsoever. You know what I mean? Think of the you know the no man's land sequence from Wonder Woman, stuff like that, where like you go in that no man's land and you just get destroyed because it's just they're just bullets flying. There's no and real strategic right at you. warfare going yeah. on here. It's yeah, it's it's like a battle of wills for the most part. So basically, two young British um, soldiers during during World War One are giving are given a mission where they have to deliver a message um, through enemy territory to get to this other this other you know portion of the army. And basically to tell them that they're they that they they're walking into a trap. Like they th- they may think that they that they're that they're that they're in an opportune situation, but it's actually the the uh, it's actually the Germans baiting them into a trap. And basically, the lives of sixteen hundred men are at stake here. So so they have to do that. And doing that, they've got to go through no man's land. They got to go through all of this stuff. And you're just traveling with them this whole time and for me i loved watching it just love yeah. it um and for many people the the main criticism i see and i can understand it's a very thin plot like literally the plot i just i just told you is pretty much the plot of the movie and we're just going from one sequence over one obstacle after another to get to our objectives sure. and the, re- you know and the reason I mean? and, and you know the reason the the as i called it a gimmick of one shot um, works is because the movie's trying to make you stay in the moment. You know, it's not about the plot. It's about you experiencing right. what these people, these soldiers are going through. Um, 
and it's about staying in that and and feeling that it's a it's 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 it, i compare it you know kind of like dunkirk where it's exper- mm. experiential you know it's very much about being in their shoes uh, right like in dunkirk i couldn't tell you what any of the names of the characters are and to be honest it didn't matter it didn't because matter. it was the situation yeah. that they were in granted dunkirk's dealing with like um like different time frames and different uh uh sequence like different things happening in different places this is just one like one continuous thing happening and the two the two actors in it are Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay and I thought they were really really good in the film and you get a lot of cameos in the film as well yeah and Benedict like, Cumberbatch oh, is that who I think that is yeah I don't want to give any uh, away that'd be Steve, all right. but, it's all right. a damn IMDb <laughs> I know it's, it's like, <laughs> like Colin Firth shows up at one point I'm like that Colin Firth oh, that's oh Colin that's Firth. no yeah who look at that is that uh whoever then yeah they show up um yeah, so I really love this movie. Like, I loved watching it in the theater. And I went to the theater where I've had, they've had projector problems before. And I didn't mention it on here, but I mentioned it to Steven where during Ford v. Ferrari, there was a frame rate problem where, like, the frame would just start stuttering and slowing down. And it started to happen during during uh, 1917. And I'm like, oh, shit, it's going it's to happen again. It's going to happen again. Not during this movie where, like, literally... The visuals are the reason to watch the movie, and I got and there's a frame a frame rate stuttering problem. But no, it held up, it held up. But I got scared, <laughs> I got real scared. Um, so where are we now? All right, we're well, we, we're to your number three. No, yeah, because we both just talked about. Yeah, number uh, four was my was 1917. Yeah. Okay, my number three is a movie I actually just watched last night, purposely for this video, and I'm glad I did because it did make my top 10 list and that is portrait of a lady on fire you have to wait oh damn Steven. just a minute all right all right well, what do you got we're gonna talk me? about my number three which is rocket man which was your number rocket man what, five yeah my, my number five yeah i uh, love this movie um mm. th- this was what uh bohemian rhapsody could have been if they Ooh, actually put shots eff- fired they actually shots put fired. effort in um <laughs> wow Funny enough, it was uh, filmed by the same guy that did the kind of finished up that movie. Yeah, you had to come in and save the movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, save that other movie. I just, I, I, to me, I, I, I mean, first of all, I love Elton John's music, um, and I love Taron Egerton. I, 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 I think he's a, a very good actor, and I think he was a perfect choice for this role. And uh, I love the choice that they made this into a musical, you know, a mm-hmm. full-on musical where they're singing the songs, they're dancing in the streets. It's, you know, it's just, I, it's such a flamboyant, fun movie. Um, and it's, I, I, I can't say other than I had uh, maybe one of the best times in the theater seeing that movie. I saw it twice in the theater, so. Oh, I saw it once, and I, I actually have the the UHD that I got to rewatch. Yeah. It, it, so I can rewatch it. And I've it. watched it at least once since I bought it. Oh, damn, so three, I've seen three, it three times. times. I just, it's an enjoyable movie. I, it is a very standard, you know, kind of plot of, you know, the rise and the fall that you expect from from these types of movies. But right, it's just the, I think some of the, you know, some of the, I guess balls. The movie's got some balls. You know, it's it's not it's not shying away from the drug use. It's not shying away from the fact that Elton John's a you know a homosexual man, and no, and, and no, they, they get into all that stuff, the stuff that they did not get into, in Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, and well, they got into it, but the way in which it was portrayed, I thought wasn't very. Was good. the PG thirteen version? 
Yeah, only that, but they made. I mean, I'm not going to go into Bohemian Rhapsody rant again, but they made it. They in the when they explored the homosexuality in that movie, they made it seem like it was one of the. It was a like it was a problematic thing. Yeah. Like it was a, a character fault within the Freddie Mercury character. Like, oh, that's what sent him down this dark path of you know his life going downward. Whereas, whereas in Rocket Man, no, they just show it as part of his life. What the dark path he does go down is with like alcohol and drugs and stuff like that. That that that's what brings you down, not your homosexuality. Um, but what I loved about Rocket Man is what Stephen basically said. It's a it's a mesh of a biopic and a musical. And with musicals, you get a lot of surrealism. Like when you break into these really elaborate musical sequences, it's just it was so colorful, so. Um, like Stephen said, flamboyant, but there was so much energy in in them, and so much um, attention to detail when it came to set design and choreography and all of that kind of stuff, which really made me go, "Wow, they really went ambitious and broad with this, and they went for it. They didn't they didn't make it a traditional, you know, music biopic. You know what I mean? Where they're just showing like concert footage, or they're just, or they're just showing footage of somebody in a uh, in a studio, but granted, they did do that several times in the movie, but they actually made you really um, feel endeared to the the music of Elton John. Well, I was going to say, they, they, they also bring a little bit of, they make the songs important. Yes, you know, like like Because, once again, Bohemian Rhapsody, the songs are there just because they're the greatest hits. They're, right. they're not showing you what, what inspired him to make the music, how deep, you know, they don't get into the deep minutia of the mo- of the songs, but the Elton, you know, the, in Rocket Man, they are trying to get you to understand the songs on an emotional level. And they, they connected very well to the personal life of Elton John. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it a vastly superior movie. Though, I'm not saying that the movie should have been nominated for Best Picture, but... Mm. Because this year had a lot, it was a great year for movies. There's tons right. of great movies. So you can't necessarily say it should have been nominated, but it definitely was a better movie than Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm sorry. Oh, it was. It's vastly. Oh, also, uh, Taron Egerton, I thought, was was better than Rami Malek. Yes. That's just me. Yeah. But that's just me. That's just me. I no, mean, I'm with you. I'm with I mean, you. I also, Jamie, Jamie Bell's in the film. Uh, very good. Jamie Richard Bell's Madden's really good. good. Uh, what's his name? Bryce Dallas Howard as well. Oh, yeah. And, um, What's his name? Uh, Rob Stark. <laughs> yeah, Richard Madden. Richard Madden, yeah. yeah. He's very Yeah, good. he's in the film. He's also very good in the film. Um, yeah, I love Bohemian Rhapsody. It was it was up there for me for the longest time. Like it was at my number two. It was at my number while. two for a while. Um yeah. yeah, it was it's that good of a movie in my opinion. Um so moving on to my number uh, two. Right. No, because well, yeah. My you want to go to your number two? Because this was your number three. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean... Is it back to me or well, back to you? Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think right here... I, let's go ahead and... We're getting close let's to Let's go ahead and go overlapping. to my number two because my number two is your number three. Okay, but I still... um My number two is your number... Whatever it was, six? What's your number two? Uh, the Lighthouse. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. So we'll talk about sure, The Lighthouse sure. now? Sure, Let's talk about The Lighthouse. Oh, my sweet... Sweet, sweet <laughs> movie. Oh, I was gonna say it exploded. Uh, um, I was gonna use a uh, swear word there, but I'm gonna oh, keep it clean. Okay. Keep it's it clean. Okay. The Lighthouse is. Um, I mean, talk about a movie, another surrealist movie. movie. It's another surrealist movie, and this film is. Man, I I couldn't tell you what this film is 
is about because it's just it's that atmosphere. This is a film that's done by Robert Eggers, and this is a film we've been talking about, oh, Stephen yeah. and I, since like 2018. Like, we were waiting, we were for, waiting this for this movie, <laughs> waiting and waiting, and then like it, it was dropping at film festivals, and we were hearing about it, and then we finally got to see it, and it got a limited release too. So I didn't even get to see it in theaters. Um, I, did. I had to wait. <laughs> oh man, I kind of hate myself for not seeing it in theaters because. The aspect ratio of this film is insane. But before I go into that, um, basically, it's a black and white, stark, stark black and white. Um, two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. And the whole film takes place there. And it's just these two guys on this island. And it's it's Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And it's just them going crazy slowly as this film goes along they just get more and more insane and they're like and there are sequences of them like getting like just crazy drunk and singing and doing all kind of crazy stuff and there's surreal moments where you see mermaids and mysterious sea creatures and the lighting and the cinematography in this film is incredible and this film is shot in a one to one nine to one aspect ratio, so we're talking like very narrow framing. I think it's the same as the ghost story. A go- I think a you're ghost, right. It's very very small. I think you're right. Yeah, it's 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 like it's the. Like, it's it's, let me it's like taking it's, a picture, like a photography. Like yeah, it's re it's even more narrow than full frame. Full frame yeah. is one three three to one. This is one one. This is one nineteen to one. So even narrower. Yeah. And that just makes this film feel more eerie, feel more claustrophobic, feel more just like it just that that suspense and that craziness. Like as a viewer, just kind of takes hold yeah. as well. And it's unbelievably well done. It's surreal, and there's also, like, deep, deep themes in this film of, like, repressed homosexuality and all kinds of stuff, and I couldn't tell you, um, man, I, in the, in the final sequence of this film, there's a shot of just Robert Pattinson screaming, and man, it's, and, and there's no sound of him screaming, but there's light. It's, it's nightmare. It's, it's nightmare inducing. It's a nightmare fueled movie. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I love it's that night, movie. It, a lot of it's a lot of the movie is nightmare fuel. Um, you know, some of a lot of it is you watch it, you just you don't understand what's happening. But to me, right. it's about it's 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 like we t- we talked about with um, you know, some of the other movies. You know, like High Life. You know, movies surrealist movies. Though you don't under necessarily understand what's going on. It, it makes it makes it makes you have to go back and watch it again. And if that's something you're into, it's exciting. You know, if you're excited about yes. going back and checking out a movie again for multiple viewings to to uh, to unlock try to unlock its meanings, which sometimes like f- like filmmakers like David Lynch, he's like, if you ask him a question about what what he was going for, he's gonna be like, I don't know. You, you just watch the movie. Like, like, yeah, it's like I don't. Yeah, I don't explain my movies. I don't explain my movies to you because he gotta, wants you, you have, to figure because it to out. to them, they think that the interpretation is always different depending on the person. So no matter yes. what he thinks the interpretation is, it doesn't matter. It's what you think that matters. I also want to mention that Robert Eggers also directed The Witch, so think of that vibe while watching this movie as well. Yeah, um, The Witch is, I think, amazing. As well, it's just. I think this is a little bit better. That, I think maybe a little bit. Better. Really interesting. Um, it's it's different. It, they're both different. They're different. Films it's a different type of movie, but 
it, it's different type of horror. You could say it, it, this is more like fantasy horror. The other one is more like Grimm's fairy tale horror, yeah. or it's like old New England folklore horror. Yeah. Um, it, it's but they're both. This is like maritime folklore fantasy horror. Yeah. <laughs> but they're both really, really well made. Robert Eggers is a fantastic, fantastic filmmaker, and I literally just bought this movie on Blu-ray yesterday to add to my collection, and I'm glad and, that and I I'm, did. And, and... A while back ago, it was rumored that he was going to do a Nosferatu movie, and I, right. I hope he's still going to do it. I want that so badly. God, I want, I want him it. to so do it. Black and white. Make it black and please white. Please do. Robert Eggers, please do a damn Nosferatu remake. Like, yes. oh, God, it would be so awesome. Um, yeah, I'm with you there, man. I, I love yeah. The Lighthouse. It, it's Robert uh, Robert Pattinson's becoming one of the best. Like he's become, he's a great he's actor. He's getting up there. I'll with, say he's a great to actor. Me, my my favorite modern actor is Jake Gyllenhaal. He's he's competing now. He's got too many good movies. You know whether it's you know Good Time, Lighthouse, High Life. Uh, you know the, the Rover. His well, you know he's gonna be in Tenet. In uh, Tenet with Christopher Nolan. Nolan's film. Yeah, Nolan's film. And we all know he's gonna be the Batman. He's gonna be Batman. New Batman. I mean, so, he's, hey. he's making a legacy for himself, man. Uh, yeah, he's put he's burying that Twilight. Life he's very much him. almost forgetting that that ha- ever happened. People like to bring that garbage up, and not not that gar- not that the, those movies are garbage, but like, oh, he's only ever going to be yeah, that character, stupid, and that's like that's not the way ca- actors' lives work. No. I I don't like typecasting people. Like you know, Daniel Radcliffe is always just going to be seen as Harry Potter, yeah. even though he's doing movies that are way different now than than Harry yeah. Potter. It's like. It's like actors can do other stuff and can be, you know, their careers evolve over time and go up and down, left and right, whatever. That's the marketing machine for you. That's true. That's pop culture in general. Pop culture likes to stick with what they know. So what's your your number two, Steve? My number two is also the one I just recently watched, just like you, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, good. Love this freaking movie. Oh, so do I. I watched it last night. I would say... And, and and I don't want to step out. I don't want to say I don't step out of turn here. It competed for number one. Like I like I almost put yeah. it as number one. Yeah. Because because but you know, I would say that this maybe is one of the best romances of the decade. Like, like honestly, like it's. I mean, first of all, you don't get a lot of great lesbian romance movies. No. Oh, I mean, you you gotta find them. You gotta find. No, them. I'm not saying that they're not out there. I'm just saying. There's not they don't they don't get out there you don't see a lot of them like the, like I mean everybody talks about blue is the warmest color and like you know yeah blue is the warmest color well you know one of my favorite movies of the decade was and that was um Todd Haynes's film Carol yeah well I still need to watch I, I it that I still need to watch it okay I I, yeah, I own Carol's it now but I still film. haven't watched it I mean the movie Disobedience came out a few uh, last year or the year before with uh, Rachel Wise that's another um, um, Lesbian romance film, was it? Uh, which was direct, directed by. Kind of has a. Oh little... yes, and the Handmaiden. The Handmaiden. That's a. That's an amazing movie. Yeah. The Handmaiden. That's um, is that that's not um. That's Chan Chan Wu Park, right? Is that yes? That is Chan Wook Park. I was almost gonna say. Bong Joon Somebody Ho. else, but no. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say him or or um, the guy who did uh, the. Uh, Stoker. Yeah, I know you're talking about. Well, that's Chan yeah. Wu Park too. Well, the guy, that's the same director. I think. Is that the same? Yeah, Chan Wu Park mind. did Stoker too. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm losing. I was gonna say, oh, the same guy who did Old Boy, but they're all the same, <laughs> the same person. Guy, yeah. <laughs> the same person. Oh man. But yeah, uh, uh, that's what happens. All these movies just kind of get rattled. Oh, yeah, Portrait well, yeah. of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, yeah. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is what I think it's one of the best romances in a while. Because um, what it is is it's you know it's a film about um, a woman who's brought in you know back back in back in the day, it was a big deal to get a portrait made of yourself. You know, you know, only the, we, only the rich people. Yeah, all the rich people. It. You get portraits of yourself. We didn't have photography yet, so you know, you, you had to have a, a painting done of yourself. And in this film, the 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 mother wants to get a painting of it for her daughter done, and she's apparently very difficult. You know, she she's they've brought in other painters, and it's not really they've never really gotten it done. So this woman painter comes in um, to get it done, and as she's trying to get it done. First, she tries to get it done from a distance because they say she's very difficult. She won't sit down and paint, let you paint her. You have to kind of look there, at her from a di- go and walks with her, look at her, try to do it from memory. There's a reason for that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, there's a reason. Basically, the reason why they want her mother wants to have the portrait painted of her because it's the send off because she's already been um, she's been um, given away, given away, you know, back then. That's kind of the way she, it was she's going to be marrying into a rich, a, a rich family. Uh, a rich family, yeah. so they want a portrait of basically a portrait of her to show her to commemorate her marriage, yeah, or, or to show her future husband what she looks sure, like. Sure, sure. And but she doesn't want it done because she doesn't want to get married. Yeah, she, she, yeah, yeah. We find out that she likes women. <laughs> well, yeah, you kind of you bury the lead on yeah, that. Yeah, one, well, yeah, yeah. First uh, and uh, but so, so, but what is so? But what we, what you see? I don't want to cut you off. Like maybe you're going down this, this, um corridor is that like it starts off with them like starts off as a ruse where she's like she's just following her around as like her companion to go on walks with her at the yeah beach she's not supposed to know that she's gonna be that. painting her right yeah. and and but like this relationship develops over time and it becomes not only romantic but there's a connection there that is just unbelievably genuine well, and it's so well, far as she tries to paint elements of of, yeah. of her it, it, right. it makes her become more intimate with her as she's right. trying to, because when, you know, you're trying to really look at somebody, the person. you're really trying yeah. to capture, if you're really trying to look at somebody and remember them and it could, it, it, you're going to grow attachment, you know, and she's right. growing, she, as the movie goes on and as she continues to try to paint her, um, she, she goes more and more attached. And then when she's done and, you know, realizes that yeah, it's not that she still hasn't really captured her it, yeah there's the yeah it's like that's when they're the i don't want to give away the whole deep. movie yeah don't give away the whole yeah, movie yeah. Just, don't bear don't, don't give away everything but their relationship becomes more it becomes like i said very genuine and there's a connection there it becomes romantic but you believe every single emotion in this film you believe every single thing in this film because there's so much beautiful subtleties whether it's a look or a handhold or the way the people walk or this a stare or something it's so genuinely uh authentic that it was mind-blowing to see i mean and the film is gorgeously well shot like it's a stunning film like when they're when they're standing at the beach or standing on a cliff top or something like that it just looks like a painting. This film yeah. looks like a painting from an aesthetic standpoint, and but the acting, the acting's amazing, like like just astonishing, and 
like Stephen said, the romance is amazing, and it feels like, and this is where I'm going to make my before trilogy reference, it feels like before sunrise. Yeah. Like, that's the level of connection and relationship these two people have, and how strong it is. And man, it, yeah, it's it's amazing movie. I'm glad I, I'm glad I, I, um, yeah, I'm glad I, I got a chance to, see to get it, it in. Um, yeah, I'm glad I got a chance to see it before, um, before we did this video, it's directed by um, I'm gonna butcher this name, Celine Siama, I believe. Sounds good to me. Yes, yeah, Celine Siama. It's a French film. It is a French film, so there are subtitles. Don't go crazy now. <laughs> um, you know, don't be scared. Don't be scared. You got to read subtitles. But she directed uh, Tomboy, Girlhood, and um, now Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and it's yeah, it's it's one of the best films I've seen from last year. Like I said, it's my number three on my yeah. list uh number two was the lighthouse that i just mentioned but um now for our number number one yeah now let's move on because i can talk about this movie for like yeah, a year yeah, straight yeah, yeah. well our number but, ones i think are the same uh yeah our number ones are identical yeah. because steven and i sometimes share the same brain yeah. um it's parasite parasite, parasite bong joon ho who we just mentioned uh parasite is a movie getting all kinds of critical love and acclaim Right now, with the award season happening, it just won um, the big award uh, at uh, SAG Awards, uh, Screen Actors Guild. It won the like best ensemble cast in a drama, which I think is the big, the big, uh, big award. Or I could be misnaming that, but it's the big award, whatever that was. Uh, it's also nominated for best picture as well as best foreign language film. I believe Bong Joon Ho is is uh, best directing nom. This film is amazing. Yes. It is, man, there's a lot of films this year that are talking about the big political theme, or not even political, just cultural theme, because this shit's been happening for forever. Yeah, yeah. There's been movies um, on class for a long time, yeah. Not only that, but just, like, this whole idea of, like, you know, classism, and this whole idea of, like, um, the wealthy and the poor and the cultural and, you know, economical divide that there literally is. That stuff has been happening for centuries. Yeah. I mean, we just talked about a movie, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, that dealt with you know, wealthy people. I mean, and that was a movie set in the 18th century, like late 18th century. Yeah. And this is a movie, this is a movie set in modern day. We're still dealing with a level of class, you know, description or a class cultural um, depiction. And basically this film is about uh, a family that basically kind of infiltrates the lives of this wealthy family. And they influence, and they and they influ and they infiltrate it in a way where um, they basically come up with like false identities, where the son the the son starts tutoring the daughter, and and the uh, the and and the uh, the sister the sister starts uh, be says she's like a uh, like a what was it like a piano instructor or piano teacher or something like that, and the mom becomes a maid, the dad becomes a uh, a, uh, a chauffeur, a chauffeur. Yeah. Like they find out ways to like replace those people with themselves, and what you see is the difference in these two worlds. And what you also see is that although they're different economically, there are similarities there when it comes to the negativity. Like these people are both like they both have bad aspects to them. Well, yeah, and, and, and that's kind of the the great equaling. The, the great equaling is that like. The morality isn't as far away as you think well, it yeah, is. And, 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 and in them infiltrating this family, they are being as nefarious as, as they look at 
the rich people as being. They, right. you know, they like, lo- they hate the rich people, but like it, it's it's but like they're doing bad stuff themselves. You know, yeah, by they, doing they, this. they they don't like them because they have money, not because they've actually witnessed them doing bad things. So right. then they do bad things. And it's okay because they 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 think it's justified because they think it's justified because of their they're, they're, where, where they, they are, are in, in cla- society, where they're yeah where they're where they are in society and extremely well direct like perfectly yeah. well directed the acting's amazing the themes like we just mentioned are really current it's, and, and darkly really, funny you know it's, and there's dark comedy um, and there's just so much to say in this movie about you know classism and. And, and the divide and stuff like that that's becoming more and more prominent in our world and yeah Bong Joon-ho is an amazing filmmaker I think it's I think it's um, definitely themes that he has been trying to explore with a lot of his movies right uh, especially like Snowpiercer and, and yeah Snowpiercer you know, even Okja to a certain extent his films are rather political yeah very political and, you know but he likes to have a certain heightenedness to his movies um, yeah he has a style he has a style to them yeah and um, I think this. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the host. I've seen Mother. I've seen Snowpiercer. I've seen Okja, and I've seen Parasite. And Parasite maybe it might his be his all his best well-rounded movie. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people didn't like Okja. I didn't love. I that mean, one. some people didn't like Snowpiercer. I really, I really liked. That was actually my intro. Yeah. That was my intro. Bong Joon Ho. I didn't know who he was until I saw Snowpiercer, and um, I still need to see Mother. The, yeah, Mother's really good, and The Host is a, is a, like a monster movie, but it, like it's pretty good. There's themes it's in there good. too. Yeah, um, but I yeah we, I can't praise this movie enough, and I highly recommend people see it. Like I've been telling people, like watch Parasite whenever you can, whether it comes out, whether it's still because I think it's still floating around in theaters. Yeah, yeah. And I know the Blu-ray is coming out a uh, couple weeks. Yeah, I want to say February it's the thirtieth. Like, it comes at, out. I think it comes out on the thirtieth of January. Yeah. Oh, already ordered mind, it. Then. Already ordered it. Somebody needs to put in a pre-order. Yeah, I already ordered it. I That's think that why person is me. <laughs> yeah, January twenty eighth. Six days. That's next week. Yep. Well, wow, that's 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 interesting. Because usually, um, the uh, the movies that are nominated for best picture, their Blu-rays don't get released until after the um, the. Um, well, they want to give you a chance to to see it. That's crazy because this movie's still in theaters. Like it's still like making box office. Oh, you know that's not that's not crazy. Week. They yeah, had Black Panther on home video and still in theaters. <laughs> My th- yeah, they did. Yes, they did. Oh man! But um, so, well, yeah. Let's go, go down your amazing. your ten through one just in order, and I'll do mine okay. just so people can get the list. And then we're gonna do honorable. We'll do some honorable. Let's not go crazy. Let's not go crazy. Yeah, come on, all right. Marriage Story, uh, Us, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is my number eight. Number seven was The Irishman. Number six was Nineteen Seventeen. Number five was Rocket Man. Number four was High Life. Number three, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And number two, The Lighthouse. And number one was Parasite. My number 10 was uh, Little Women. Uh, number nine was Uncut Gems. Number eight was Jojo Rabbit. Number seven was Queen and Slim. Number six was Marriage Story. Number five was The Lighthouse. Number four was 1917. Number three was Rocket Man. Number two was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and number one was Parasite. Uh, nice. This was a great year for film. I mean, like honestly, going up to my number twenty, I feel very strongly about a lot of these movies. Like, I mean, right. it, uh, going into some of my honorable mentions, Doctor Sleep. Really, oh, really nice. loved Doctor nice. Sleep. Um, 
uh, last uh, the last Black Man in San Francisco, very good. Yeah. Um, I think one that it was an early in the year one, fighting with your fighting with my family, underrated, very underrated. Yeah. Um, I do have Once Upon a Time in my top twenty. Um, Ford versus Ferrari, fantastic. Yep. That'd be on my honorable mentions. Joker, too. Yeah. Joker was. I got, jo- I got Joker. Yeah, jo- high. Joker was my number yeah. eleven. Um, Joker, coincidentally, Joker's my number twelve. Yeah, well, <laughs> us is my number twelve. Ah. Um, and then one, I, I'll just I'll say this one. I watched Pain and Glory yesterday, and it was very good. It's it's my number fourteen. Um, oh, nice. It's very good. It it kind of reminded me of movies like The Hero from Satyajit Ray. Movies about oh, yeah. it, uh, directors or actors kind of reflecting on their life. To me, it's uh, like Bergman's Wild Strawberries, yeah, but yeah. done by Pedro Almodovar. Yeah. Um, it, it's very me, good, very colorful film. Like oh, it, yeah. Antonio Banderas is amazing. He's amazing. He's fantastic. In the movie. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but my, my honorable mentions are Knives Out. I have yeah. my. 13 spot have great that at play, great murder mystery yeah. the farewell is my number 11 it's my number Wang's film yeah. um, there's only two films that have made me like cry while watching it and it was the farewell and portrait of a lady on fire i cried at the end of portrait of a lady on fire um but little women uncut gems midsummer is actually in my top 20 it's my 22 i know a lot of people don't like them and a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't like it i have jojo rabbit ford v ferrari uh blinded by the light is actually much higher than i think uh people would think it would be on my yeah it's pretty high if it's in your top 20 well it's at 20 it's at 23 and then you got like book smart and yeah yeah and stuff like that. you're gonna hate um, me go on because irishman i got at 29 Woo! wow <laughs> i can tell you my 29 is actually avengers endgame um, that's my 28 <laughs> oh damn uh do you uh how about peanut butter falcon i got that yeah it? i got that it's my number 19 oh my it's at my 27 spot yeah actually but yeah, I mean, Dolomite is my name is another one a lot of people are talking about. Um, yeah, that's pretty. That's yeah. We that's could go through a lot of other ones, yeah. but like I said, yeah, a great, those are the, those are good. Good year yeah. for movies. Um, I can't wait to see what's coming for this year. Maybe we'll do a anticipating for uh, you know next year coming up. Maybe maybe you think maybe we should do that episode instead of doing like a who we think should win. Or maybe we should. I thought maybe we maybe we could do that afterwards. You want to do I the intes- You want to do the twenty twenty look after the Oscars. Yeah. Okay. That's what I would say. Okay. We'll do that with reactions to the Oscars themselves. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Makes sense. Cool. Well, that's going to be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Um, where can we find you, Andrew? You can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Cinema Discovery Project. And you can find the audio for this podcast uh, on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Um, and hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will.